right, Colossians 3, starting in verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, for you are serving the Lord Christ." For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. All right, I'll give you one guess as to what book of the Bible we're in, okay? So we've been in this thing. I think babies have been born and graduated high school since we've been in Colossians, okay? So we're just making our way through the book of the Bible verse by verse. And um, in this portion of the letter now, we're really getting into the boots on the ground as to what uh, this concept of it all being about Jesus really means. Last week, we looked at the roles um, in marriage and this idea um, of family. But where this all comes from uh, in Colossians chapter chapter 3 is verses 1 and 2. And this is the Apostle Paul's thesis. He says, Since then, or if then, you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. That now primarily this is our identity, having been raised with Christ. And so we have to understand verse 1 before we get into the concept of the roles in marriage and then today what it looks like for children and parenting and everything like that. It, it's coming from a concept, and the concept is really the, the kingdom of God, where Jesus rules and reigns as Lord, that the Christian lives differently in a world that, that doesn't love God. And, and one of the ways that we describe that was as sort of like an embassy. That if you're in a foreign country um, and there is a U.S. embassy, if something breaks out and something happens, the advice from the United States government is to get to that embassy because that is a representation of the United States in a foreign country. And what we said the home in these verses is, is very simply this, that the Christian home is an embassy of heaven on earth. That, that in the home of a believer, in the roles of, of a wife and of a husband, of children and of parents, that they operate differently than the world around them. That it's literally an outpost of heaven here on earth. And, and, and before we sort of dive in into the concepts today, the majority of the message is going to be about parenting. Um, there's, there's a few resources that I just want to lay before you. I get asked a lot about resources, and I think, quite frankly, when you Google something or go into a Christian bookstore about parenting, it's like overwhelming. You're like, man, what, what in the world? Chip and Joanna Gaines are like building houses and raising kids, and like, oh my goodness, like there's all kinds of stuff, okay? The first book that I would recommend is by Paul David Tripp. It's 14 uh, principles about how the gospel affects your parenting. Now, 
I'm going to spend a majority of the message today about the motivation and the ideology of parenting before we get into some practical stuff. And we will get into practical stuff. But listen, you've got to understand my primary concern always is how does the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus affect fill in the topic. I don't care, budgeting, uh, roles in marriage, or parenting. And I believe that this book does one of the best ways of showing you as a parent how the gospel affects your parenting. Uh, The second book is actually by his brother, and it's called Shepherding a Child's Heart. And that is phenomenal when it comes to practicality about disciplines and everything like that. I spent a lot of time in prayer this week just because our church has a lot of, of young families, a lot of small children that are just sort of in the fray, if you will, right? And so just really praying towards what is our gospel motivation in this? And then the last resource was written like 200 years ago by a guy named J.C. Ryle, and it's The Duties of Parents, and it's just fantastic. So those three recommendations, you can get those on Amazon or something like that, I would highly recommend. But when we started talking about this idea of the family, we said that we have to understand three crucial concepts, that that we're so far away from the ideology of the scriptures that we have to have a base, literally, as to where we start from. And the first one is this. The first crucial concept is that God created the family. That's, that's the first crucial concept, that we literally see God create the universe, the Milky Way, everything that we know, and then creates man in his own image and likeness. And, and then in Genesis, it says these words, uh, that sin distorts the family, but when it comes along and it says that he blessed them, uh, God created man in his own image and likeness, blessed them, and then said, be fruitful and multiply. So, so to be fruitful and multiply was to be an image bearer of God. Because if we're made in the image and likeness of God, and God created image bearers in his own image and likeness, one of the commands to our first parents, Adam and Eve, is when a man comes together with a woman, they create image bearers of God. And that's massively important to understand. But then we see that sin comes along and distorts the family, and we see there with Cain and Abel that they slayed each other. And then God comes along and, and asks Cain where Abel is at. And listen to this. Cain spoke to his brother, and then Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. So already there's conflict that, that the family nucleus as we know it um, has already been fractured. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? When I read that this week, I was like, son, who are you talking to, okay? I mean, mean, Cain is getting bowdy in here, right? I mean, he's just killed his brother. He's popping off at the mouth to the Lord. My goodness, right? So now all of a sudden we see that there is some serious conflict and some things breaking down. Why is that important to, to spend time on? Because we live on this side of Genesis chapter 3. And sometimes when we look at the idea of of the family being sort of an embassy of heaven on earth, most of the time, you know, I said that last week and some people laughed like, yeah, an outpost of heaven on earth. It's more like an outpost of hell. Like, I mean, my family's got a ton of problems. This is not. And then some of us who come from an abusive background would say, man, those were the worst days of my life. And what sin has done in the nucleus of the family is... um, You see, the family was supposed to be foundational for our formation. 
That was the goal of it. That the family was foundational for our emotional and spiritual formation. But what sin has come along and done is that it's taken a place that was supposed to be safe and a place of nurturing, and now it's made it really a place of neglect. And not a safe place, but sometimes a place of harm. And a recent study was done through the CDC talking about adverse childhood experiences. 17,000 studies were done to look at what is the difference of a child that grows up in stressful environments, maybe where there's not a mother, where there's not a father, where there is trauma, where there is neglect. 60% of U.S. citizens are living with moderate to serious trauma from their childhood. 60%. Four times, uh, these children are four times more likely to suffer depression, 11 times more likely to become alcoholics, 16 times more likely to use illicit drugs, and 19 times more likely to attempt suicide. Now, I I, I don't usually use statistics and stuff like that, but why am I using those things? Because there's a give and take. Our society keeps saying that the home is not important and that these specific roles and that the Bible's way is archaic and that doesn't work and we need to try new things. And all I'm saying is there is a mountain, a mountain of evidence that shows the contrary of that. And what I would just like to suggest today is what if, what does it look like to submit ourselves to the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ? Because God created the family, sin distorted the family, but listen, there's good news. And the good news is that Jesus restores the family. That's what we see here. That's what we see is that Jesus in his good rule and reign restores rightfully back to the garden the way things were supposed to be. And I love what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Galatians. It's so explicit. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith, sons and daughters of God. Listen, If you've come in and now you're sort of leaned in and you're like, yes, I'm going to get some practical how-tos and this is how it is with the family. And man, I've got some family conflict. That's not my primary concern. My primary concern is what the scriptures would teach is that the good news of the gospel is that Jesus restores us first with our heavenly father, then secondly with our neighbor. Our primary concern is not the relationships within our own family. Our primary concern is the reconciliation of our relationship with God as Father. That's what Jesus does first. That vertical relationship has to be right, and then the horizontal relationships follow. Um, we were watching uh, TV the other day on A&E, and we were watching, I think, like Pawn Stars or something like that. And a preview of this TV show popped up called Tattoo Rescue. And what it is is these people go in and they have these horrible tattoos of like, um, you know, hey, it's supposed to be a mural of my mom and it looks like a bulldog or something like that. And you're like, ooh, that's not good, okay? And what these guys do is they come along and they fix it and this, that, and the other. But the tagline of it was um, taking sort of broken pieces and making masterpieces. And when I saw that, I just thought, listen, so many of us live with the heartache and that hope that could Jesus just restore our family back together? 
And listen, I'm here to tell you that, yes, he can. It's going to be probably the hardest thing that you've ever done in your life. You're going to have to humble yourself in ways that you could have ever have imagined. But please let me tell you that Jesus wants to meet us there today that Jesus wants to restore the family and do that. So what does that look like? Well, the Apostle Paul has had these roles. We've seen for wives it was to submit, for husbands it was to love. And now he moves on to children. And he says this, children, here's the word, obey your parents. To which all the parents said, amen, Amen. right? Right? This is great. I think the ride home from church is going to be fantastic, right? Now, parents, it's coming, okay? It's coming. Just wait, all right? You're the next verse. But remember, the Apostle Paul is saying that everything is unto the Lord. It's not just children obey your parents. It's children obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Um, Interesting, studying the Scriptures, every time children are addressed in the Bible... It's literally like 99% of the time, the exhortation is to obey. That's the exhortation. The exhortation is not to self-esteem. The exhortation is not to your child's uniqueness. Mama, I love you, but you're going to be so mad at me before the sermon's over today, okay? It's not to the uniqueness of the child or anything like that. The exhortation in the Bible to children and to parents is one of obedience, Interesting, the Apostle Paul doesn't say children love your parents. He doesn't say that. He says obey. Why? Well, we're going to get into that. Well, what is obedience, right? I mean, like, I'm all for defining terms because I think that we use terms and we never understand that the mandate in the passage is to obey. I mean, this is like a command. There's not negotiation. There's not like, well, in the original Greek, what obey really means is, no, it's, it's the mandate. And it's to obey. How about this as a working definition? Obedience. Genuine, willing adherence to a request from someone in authority. That's obedience. We all on the same page? Okay. It's not like muddy area here, right? That's what it is. It is genuine, willing adherence to a request from someone in a position of authority. And what we're going to see is it's very interesting that he addresses the home and that he addresses parents Then he moves into the workplace because, again, I believe everything flows from the home. That as the home goes, so goes society and so goes all of that. And so the exhortation is one of obedience. But what does obedience look like? What does obedience look like? These are the three things that we try to teach our kids as to what obedience is. Okay, Obedience is this. The first thing is doing what you're told. Doing what you're told, very, very plain and simple, okay? I think primarily from two to four years old, that's what you're teaching. That's what you're instructing. Do what you're told. That's why from, if you have a two to four-year-old in your home, the word no is used a gazillion times, okay? And you're exhausted in here, by the way, all right? And we've got some good news coming your way. But listen, primarily, it's, it's doing what you're told. There's no negotiation in that aspect. The second thing is this, doing what you're told, but then doing it immediately, Okay? Again, going to be really offensive today, but I'm totally down with the counting, the counting, all right? Because what you're doing is you're showing how long you can disobey me and how long as a parent I'm going to allow you to disobey me, 
Okay? So 1, 2, 27, 30, right? Okay, and I get it. You're exhausted, and you're like, oh, this is the 17th time. But I think from primarily from 4 to 8 years old, what you're teaching is you need to do what you're told, and you need to do it immediately. But then the last thing is key. It's not just doing what you're told, doing it immediately. It's doing it with a good attitude. And that is forever, okay? Because there's adults in here that need to learn that, right? That's what obedience is primarily looking like. And, and, and why is that so important? Well, number one, uh, kids, if I could just speak to you for, for whoever's in here, right? And the word that the Apostle Paul uses for children is sort of age-sensitive. It primarily means anybody that's in the home, okay? Which, when I read that, I was like, well, in today's society, that could be like 35 years old, okay, right? Like, but it's any child that's dependent upon their parents and living in the home, okay, right? And you're like, gosh, <laughs> that's weird, okay? But... Um, If I could speak to you for just a minute, um, if you're high school, junior high, or anything like that. When it comes to obedience, we see this beautiful verse in Luke's gospel. One of the things that I really get burdened about when I read about church history, or when I read these creeds, or when I talk to people that are all into theology, and the divinity and the humanity of Christ, and he's fully God and fully man, and he didn't sin, could Jesus sin, could he not? Okay, what a lot of times people miss is Jesus' life. Like, Jesus had a life before 30 years old. Jesus grew up. Jesus was a child. We see glimpses of this in the scriptures. And then we see this in Luke chapter 2. And he, Jesus, went down with them, his parents, and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them, obedient to them. And his mother treasured up all of these things in her heart. Listen, first and foremost, kids, and by the way, ladies, we we talked last week about the understanding of submission. Right here, what we see is Jesus doing this with his earthly parents. Please just think about this for a moment. Very God from God, very light from light, obeying his earthly parents. But I know what you're saying. Well, that was Jesus. He never sinned, right? So that was okay to obey, right? But what we're seeing, listen, please, kids, is an exhortation of obedience. Listen, is an exhortation to Christ-likeness. That's, what that, that's why that's so important. But primarily why it's so important is the motive. It's not just the mandate to obey, but he says, children, obey your parents. Here it is, in everything. In everything. Well, pastor, what about in everything? Um, obviously, the caveat, except for sin, okay? So if you have that, that's why I believe God has also ordained the structure of the church to step in and help when the structure of the home has failed, That's why you'll never see an orphanage named after Charles Darwin. You'll never see a hospital named after Charles Darwin. Why? Because in that ideology, when you take it to the line, it doesn't matter at that point anymore. And that's why I believe God has instituted the church to step in in that. So it's in everything, and then it says this, for this pleases the Lord. It pleases God. Why? Um, this sentence is one that we've, our, our children have memorized this. You could walk up to them and ask them this, but every time I say it to them, it's like God is saying it to me. Um, obedience brings joy. It's what we've tried to teach our kids from the very, I mean, as soon as they could start talking and communicating, is listen, your daddy and your mommy are for you. And the reason why we want you to wait on the, on the popsicle or like when we're checking out at Walmart and they have all the candy right there at the checkout, right at your kid's height because Satan put that there, okay? 
And you're like, buddy, buddy, we have a whole carton of ice cream. We're buying an entire carton of ice cream. If you would wait, you can have a bowl of ice cream, not that sugary dumb thing, okay, right? We've got better stuff for you because obedience brings joy. And listen, the same is true for us as Christians. And the same is true for us as our Heavenly Father. But why is the exhortation in the Scriptures to one of obedience when it comes to children? Well, because this. If you don't obey the authority that you can see, how can you obey the authority that you don't see? Kids, please listen to me. God has designed it in such a way that your parents are a representation. Please listen. You're going to love this part of the sermon. Please lean in. A poor representation an imperfect representation, a failing representation, but a representation nonetheless of God's authority in your life. And if you have a heart and a desire to follow Jesus and to love the things of God, how in the world could you lead a godly life and obey the scriptures and obey the Lord Jesus Christ when you don't obey the very first set of authority that God has given you? That's why it's so important. Listen, that's why I believe what we see of a breakdown of authority in society is that we were not taught that in some homes, that this is the first representation of that, that it starts there, that the exhortation children is one of obedience, and a call to obedience is a call to Christ-likeness, all right? So now, um, now it's your parents' turn. Parents, we ready? Are we ready for this? It's only going to hurt a little bit. And anytime the dentist says that, he really means this is going to make you want to punch me in the face. Okay, that's what it means, right? So um, to parents and primarily um, to fathers, the exhortation is to encourage. Now, the word in the Greek could be translated parents, but it has a leaning towards fathers. Why is that significant? Well, I think because it goes back to what we learned last week. That I believe that in God's design of the home, that now the exhortation is going to be to one of encouragement and not to exasperate the children. And if it's one, well, let's just read it. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. That is an anticipatory to one of discipline, okay? So you don't say that unless there's an assumption that the father is responsible primarily for discipline when it comes to that in the home. And so the exhortation is to one of encouragement and to encourage, which tells me if the exhortation is to encourage for the man, then that's probably something that we don't do or that we do poorly. And what we see is God's designed roles, but I love the idea of when he says, fathers, don't provoke your children, right? Um, some of your translations might say exacerbate or aggravate, right? Now, listen, I love, I love the Bible. I love the Bible. Because parents are all the time like, oh, uh, these kids, uh, these kids wear me out. Uh, I can't wait for Christmas break to be over. Uh, these kids are wearing me out. And your kids and the Bible are saying, you're wearing me out. You're wearing me slick, right? This is exhausting, right? Why, what is this idea to, to provoke? And, it, and it's to provoke um, to anger. That, that, listen, what if primarily a ton of the discipline that happens is a response to you provoking your kids to disobedience? 
You see, things change when you step back and you live under the rule and reign of the scriptures. But what are ways that we provoke our children? Um, I think the first one is this, overprotection, okay? Mama, people been eating sand and sandboxes for a thousand years, okay? Right? It's going to be okay. But it's this idea, listen, overprotection, that was a joke, but overprotection, listen, primarily from your kids failing. I think one of the worst things that you can do as a parent is protect your child from failing. Failure is a massive teacher and massively important to learn. And so it's this idea of overprotection. How about this favoritism? Gosh, we see this in the scriptures. We see this in David's life. Go back and read about David and Absalom and the horrendous things that took place there. Anytime that there is favoritism in the family, talk about distortion that takes place in adulthood. Um, the third one, cynical, right? So, so never the kid can never do anything right, right? So, so, so this is primarily, and I'm just being honest and fully transparent. I see everything that's wrong all the time with everything 24-7, I mean, it's like the way Neo saw the Matrix, okay? Like, it's just, I walk in and it's just wrong. I just see that. And primarily, my kids can be showing me something that they accomplished, and in my mind, I'm already moving to the next thing that needs to be corrected, okay? And, and, and then uh, no physical affection. I mean, you can see the studies that have been done on this. In the Soviet Union in the 1970s, they did an experiment of orphaned babies who were not held and loved and nurtured for the first about year of their life and the psychological effects that take place on that. I mean, guys, Westside is so blessed with having so many people that, that work in childcare or the school systems or everything like that. And talk to a teacher. A teacher could tell you on the first day of school the child that grows up in a home with no physical affection. Um, Over-discipline. So, so, so now there's a ditch on either side of the road. So now because maybe you had an abusive father or you weren't shown physical affection or anything like that, and the way in which you think that is to rule and reign is by authoritarian rule, I call that slingshot parenting, okay? So for the parent that over-disciplines, what you're doing is you're pulling that child back further and further and further until the day they can leave your home and they are gone, gone in that sense. And then the last one, um, no discipline. You can also talk to a school teacher and know that kids actually subconsciously crave boundaries. They crave order and structure. A kid that comes from a home with no structure is riddled with anxiety. Why? Because it's not safe. Their brain sends signals and alarms and chemicals of this is not safe, so now I have to fend, and now we have to defend and do that. These are ways in which we provoke our children. But this anticipates an understanding of discipline, and this is where I want to spend some time. Um, Proverbs, parents, I would challenge you to read. There's uh, 31 chapters in Proverbs. Uh, read a, a, a chapter a day for a month. But Proverbs says this, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but whoever loves him is diligent to discipline him. Just full cards on the table. I'm going th that route today. Um, I believe that the Bible does teach in a some sort of gentle, grace-filled, physical aspect of discipline. Okay, now you can hit me with studies, you can hit me with all of that, and I can also just sort of point to society as a whole, okay? 
Now, it's an understanding that the Bible says that if you don't discipline your child, that you actually hate your child. And, and that's sort of like, wait, what? Because most of the time where there is no discipline, it's this idea of we love you and we always want this. No, no, no. The Bible says that you actually hate your child. But why? Why is the exhortation to the child to obey and primarily to the parent to want to discipline? Well, because Proverbs would go on to say this in chapter 11, verse 25. Folly is bound up in the heart of your child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. Why? Because sin and folly is, listen, sometimes it is they just need a snack. Sometimes it is that they're just tired. But 100% of the time, it's because they're sinners. Okay, love you, mama. Love you, okay? That baby that you love with your whole heart is a sinner that needs to be saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And sin and folly is bound up. The word bound up literally means so tangled and so tied. Now, is, it, is parenting starting to make sense now? Now you're like, geez, no wonder this is so hard, right? Because you're spending time trying to untangle this tangled knot in all of this stuff. And it's exhausting and it's exacerbating. I love what James Dobson says is the goal of parenting is, is when you encounter the will of your child the goal is to win and to win decisively. Now, it's to shape the will, not to break the will. So much easier to break the will, so much easier to shut down the conversation with your authority, your physical stature, the, all of that. So much more difficult to shape and to guide that will. But primarily the reason why the scripture's parents exhort us to do this is because discipline is a primary way that parents disciple their children. Did you know in the etymology and the root word of disciple and discipline is the same thing? Is a learner? So parents, this is not something, and listen, we have a young church, we have a lot of families, that's why I'm spending time on this as your pastor to exhort us in this. But a lot of us as parents think, if I can just get beyond these years... I am so tired of finding Cheerios everywhere and wiping butts and doing, I'm just exhausted from this, okay? Listen, what I would exhort you to say is this. Listen, you are in primary years of discipleship. You don't move on to deeper areas of discipleship. Just talk to other parents because now there's a moment when they get out of the car seat. Right? And then there's a moment when they drive away from the house. And then there's a moment when, and I mean, goodness gracious, my parents have four boys. We span from 47 to 34 years old, and they still don't know what's going to happen when the phone rings. Okay, right? So it never changes. Parenting never changes in this process of discipleship. But what does discipline look like? And, and for some of us younger parents, when do we discipline and why? When do we discipline and why? Um, I would just lay before you, this has been helpful for me, take it or leave it, you get what you pay for today, okay? But um, discipline in the Jordan home happens over the three D's, okay? So that's dishonesty, that's disrespect, and that's disobedience. You pop off on one of those things, you're getting it, okay? Because Hebrews chapter 12 says God disciplines those whom he loves. So dishonesty is primarily, lying is probably the main thing that would get disciplined, um, disrespect and disobedience. Why? Because all of those things have nothing to do with behavior. 
Discipline has nothing to do with behavior. Listen, the goal of discipline is heart transformation, not behavior modification. If you are parenting to behavior modification, you will raise a little Pharisee that will go to hell. And how many of us would be so satisfied with an obedient child here on earth and not even weep and question what it is for their eternal salvation? Listen, we're not disciplining just for good behavior and being quiet right now and you're getting on my nerves. Listen, lying, the reason why you lied to daddy is because you thought in that moment that doing that with your friends or in my case as a kid, sneaking out of that window or doing that was something you wanted more and you trusted in more than what your dad said to you. You see, the reason why you lied is because you loved something more than you loved mommy and daddy. And listen, we got to teach you, and, and we have to learn that also daddy has the same problem of loving and trusting what his heavenly father says to him. Because you know what daddy deals with every day is hearing in the back of my mind, did God really say? We struggle with the same thing. And how much is it that what is revealed in our parenting is just a mirror of our own brokenness and our own faults? That's why this has to be the goal. This has to be the goal. So what are some, um, what are some tools that God's word gives us when it comes to this area of discipline? Okay, how, how can we do this? Well, listen, I think the first thing we, we just saw is the rod. Okay. Now, I love what James Dobson says. He says never to use your hand because the hand is what provides that should be something of comfort. This should never be something out of anger. It should never happen in the heat of the moment. So what does this look like? How does corporal discipline and something take place in the home? Listen, here's some suggestions, okay? Here's how we failed. You get what you pay for, all right? Um, the first thing is this. I think uh, you separate the child. I don't think you discipline. And by the way, parents, please look up here. We don't punish our children. We don't punish. Punishment happened on the cross. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We do not condemn our children. We do not punish. Punish is unto behavior and to appease some sense of authority. There is discipline. And discipline is the direction of reconciliation. So I believe it's separating the child. I don't believe that happens publicly. I don't think you shame and guilt in front of the rest of the family. You separate the child. I think you get on the child's level. I think you, um, why, why? Hey, let's just do this, okay? Um, does the gospel matter in our parenting? Yes. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. Now, wait for verse 14 of John chapter 1. And then the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So now as a parent, when you stand in authority over that child and then you get down on their level, that is incarnation. That is theology at work. The tone is now softer. Now we're on the same level. Now we have eye contact. And then you connect before you correct. I love the way that one pastor says this. You connect before you correct. How do you connect? Who am I? Your dad, who are you? I'm Roman. Okay. What does that mean? It means you're my son. It means you're my daughter. 
That means nothing will ever change that. That means nothing that you ever do would ever separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. You connect. Then you explain the transgression. Hey, listen, it's been all day that we've told you this. And it's been multiple times, and now our words aren't, aren't bearing any weight with you. And so now, the way that God has designed this, maybe now this will work to get your attention in this sense. Then I think that that happens. I don't think it happens out of anger. I don't think it happens out of a beating. Or Listen, man, it's crazy that it's controversial that I'm even teaching this. Because I grew up in a time when everybody could spank you, okay? I got spanked by my Sunday school teachers, okay? I got spanked by everybody, like, all the time, Okay? So it's just crazy to me that I have to like tiptoe through this, right? Because there's some parents who are like hugging trees and not wearing shoes that are like, we don't do that, okay, right? But anyway, okay. Um, And then, listen, I think this is major. I think you restore the child back to fellowship. I don't think we banish our child. I don't think it's ever like, hey, go away. I don't think that ever happens. This idea of going away and banishing away from fellowship Because what did Jesus do with us? Jesus brought us back into fellowship with the Father. And so now after the discipline, it is a hug. It is a reestablishing of the relationship. You are my child. I love you. Let's have a good rest of the day because Daddy will do this again. We will do this again. And we will do it over and we will do it over Because God has given me the primary responsibility to be a physical representation of his invisible authority. That's what the love of parenting is about. It's not for the sake of you. It's not for the sake of that child. It's for the sake of the kingdom of God. So so, so I think it's the rod and then this. I think uh, it's the rebuke, okay? So so I think it's a strong word. I think it's tone and reflection. I mean, Proverbs says this, um, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings his mother shame. The rod, we've already discussed that, and then reproof, that is a rebuke. That is a strong word. That is what I like to call the dad voice, if you will, right? Okay? So now we're meaning business. Now we're, and, and with that tone and that, and by the way, this is also different with the personalities of your children. Guys, we can't, I can't cover everything, okay? We have three kids and what works for one kid will literally devastate our other child. I mean, literally, like it's just, it's, and that's what makes it so different. But now, I mean, and by the way, Jesus rebuked the disciples, I mean, so it's a strong word in that sense. Um, I think the third thing when it comes to discipline, the rod, the rebuke, uh, the removal of freedom. So now you're getting older in age. Like, I think if you're spanking, like, beyond, like, I don't know. I don't want to put an age on this. I just think if you're spanking a teenager, you've lost, okay? I'm just going to go ahead and say that. That's, like, not going well for you, okay? I think that's over, like, five, six, seven, like, you know, that range or whatever. But at this age, now what are you doing? You're learning that choices have consequences. The most important thing for kids to learn is that choices have consequences, and they need to learn delayed gratification. I mean, a child that doesn't know delayed gratification... I mean, you can do psychological studies of criminals and everything like that. That's what leads to that. So it's this idea of, no, this now, and you only have so much rope, right? 
And, and so it's learning. Like, I'll never forget when I got my driving test. I got it after I was 16 because all my friends could drive, and so I just bummed off them for a long time. But I got my driver's license, and, and I came home, and my dad sat me down at the table, and, and he had the picture of the driver's license. And, and he said, hey, congratulations, that's awesome. You're, you know, you're, you're a young man, this is an exciting time, all this type of stuff. Gave me a cool playlist to play in the car. It was just really cool stuff, man. And then he said this, um, that's not a right. You driving in that driver's license is not a right. It's a privilege. And so with a privilege comes responsibility. And so here are the ground rules, and this is what this looks like. We're all for you in this. And by the way, the extension of our home That car is an extension of the authority of our home. So like whatever takes place in the car, if you wouldn't do it at home, you can't do it there. Really struggled on that one. But like (laughs) the idea and all of that. But listen, what I understood, what I understood was that this is a gift. Like this is a gift in this. And and then I think the last thing is this is responsibility. I think now, um, especially young men, parents, if you parent a young man, I think young men are like trucks. They drive straighter with a heavier load. Okay, I don't think uh, a young man doesn't need a lot of downtime because you're an idiot. Okay, love you, buddy. Love you. Just quoting the Bible. Okay, the Bible has nothing good to say about young men. Like they're strong. So is diarrhea. Okay, like <laughs> great. It just doesn't have a lot of good to say about it. But what it does say is, is, is you need to get around older men and you need to strap on responsibility and do not hit me with I'm afraid to burn out. Okay, goodness gracious. Go to bed tired, as one pastor told me. All right. And so it's this, I I think God has given us these tools for discipline, and it's for heart transformation, not behavior modification. Now listen, um, I just want to close with this, okay? Um, I think the key to parenting and the thrust in the text of living under the rule and reign of Jesus, um, I think the key to raising your children is resting in the fact that you are a child of God. I think the gospel matters, right? And so I think no matter what age, no matter 40, 14, or 4, I just think this is the motivation. And, and just an exhortation to parents and, and especially to mothers with, with small children. You're just in it right now. You're just so in it. And there's no get easy out of this thing. It's hard and it's long. Um, what if? What if your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God right now is not something that you do but somebody that you raise? I just think that's what it is. I think that's the exhortation. I think that's what this looks like. And I love what Moses told the people of Israel to tell their children. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of this testimony and the statutes and the rules that the Lord God commanded you? Translation, why are we going to church every Sunday? Why can't I stay the night there? Why can't I do this? Why can't I go there? Why can't I listen to that? Why can't I watch that? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Translation, in this house, Jesus rules and reigns. And your mommy and daddy are sinners saved by grace. God has given you us for a season, such a short season. 
And he's brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders and great and, and against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do these things and to fear the Lord our God always that he might preserve us and live in this day. And it will be righteousness for us and our family if we are to be careful to do what the Lord God commanded us. For he is good. That's why we operate this way in this family. is because Jesus rules and reigns. Heavenly Father, God, we come before you today grateful to call you our Heavenly Father. And you rule and reign. God, for, for all of us in this room in some way, shape, or form are children. And though it's different in seasons in our life to obey our parents, interesting, you've commanded us to honor our father and mother that it should go well with us in our life. There's no age limit on that for those of us who are 50, 60, 70 years old, who still have living parents, we still honor them. Because in honoring them is honoring you, and that's tough. For some of the relationships, that's difficult. But the exhortation to obedience is an exhortation to Christ-likeness. God, I just pray for families in this room today. God, I pray against the enemy, his workers, and their effects. God, we know the first thing that was attacked was a family. Because we know that the family is an embassy of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And so I just pray for parents that are in the thick of it. God, I pray that the guilt and shame would fall off of them like shackles. God, no parent in this room feels like they're doing enough and they feel like they're gonna mess up and they feel, and God, just today, I just wish that they would understand the truth that the key to raising these children is resting in the fact that we are your child. May they hear, I love you, my beloved son, my beloved daughter, and in you I am well pleased. May that be the motivation today. God, we love you, and we pray this all in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ.